0: Hey. So uh, we won't use any names. I'll just call you Xena. How's that? Very good. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. That way uh, your identity will be perfectly masked because everybody will think that you're a character. <laughs> that Bastier? sounds like it. Or That's something good like sign.
1: that. Right. The uh, tight corset.
0: <laughs> right. Yeah, you got it. <laughs> I'm just going by your avatar here, so I'm sure it's the same deal. <laughs> Right, right.
1: Thank you, thank you for taking the time to.
0: Oh, no problem. No problem to at all. No problem at all. So you had uh, a general topic that you wanted to talk about, which was um, the, the sort of work-related issues um, in your in your department. Is that right, or was there something else that was more of a yearning, burning?
1: I guess. So I guess that I I think of that as being like the specific, um, like a manifestation of I guess right. the more general, like. Issue that that if if you could help me like see like what I'm not seeing that would sure that would be I guess the 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 greatest um, uh, thing to get out of the conversation
0: sure absolutely there is this horrible thing and I don't know if you've been listening to the conversations lately but. Everybody feels retarded when they when they deal with the stuff. Deal with the stuff. You're a highly intelligent and highly able human being, but everybody's completely retarded when it comes to making these connections. Uh, me, <laughs> you, everybody else. So I appreciate the uh, the humility to put yourself in the in the dunderhead hat because uh, because uh, through this that it's just a necessary evil.
1: Um, that's good. It's good to hear you. Um... It's comforting to hear you say that, I guess.
0: Sure. Well, I mean, I I wrote uh, when I was uh, going through therapy, I wrote, I don't know, probably close to 250 or 300,000 words to figure out some things about my family, which maybe I could have been told in about three sentences. But uh, it's, you know, we're all trained to not know these things, right? We're all trained to not make these connections. So it's really hard to do it. And then, of course, when you get them, you look back and you say, well, duh, but it's still almost impossible. The cage is totally obvious from the outside, but inside, it's that sort of, um, uh, it's what was that movie with Jim Carrey, where he plays the guy who's stuck in a dome but doesn't know it. Uh, It doesn't look like a cage from the inside, it just looks like the world, but from the outside, it's like, wow, how did I ever live in that tiny little box?
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I guess I have experienced, like, frustration or impatience. Impatience at, like, feeling like I'm struggling with things that I, I wouldn't have to if I had, you know, the right outside perspective.
0: Sure, sure. Well, do you want to tell me a little bit about uh, about your history and and uh, your family and so on?
1: Yeah, um, I'd, I'd be happy to. I've, um, I've I've got some notes just so that I can <laughs> help organize my thinking. Sure. Um, so I guess um, in in general, my um, my parents divorced when I was um, like five, and and I grew up with my dad. Um, and I guess I the 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 experience with him was very um, unpleasant in hindsight. Or I guess I've come to recognize how unpleasant it was. I, I don't have very many vivid memories of my childhood. And I understand that now as being probably because I was dissociated so much of the time. Um, The things that I do remember are, you know, basically being dismissed or, you know, intense amounts of, uh, you know, impatience or, you know, directed at me, Uh, just like I'm I'm a great imposition on him.
0: Right, right.
1: And it certainly wasn't ever acceptable for me to you know, express my preferences or feelings. Right. And I, I remember at various times, like when I was, I guess, in the early parts of high school, like I was writing fiction and things, and like the imagery I was using was imagery of being, you know, I had a very profound sense of being immobilized. Uh, right. Or... Like, unable to move, unable to express, even, what was going on.
0: Right, right.
1: Um, And so, I guess, most of my issues come from interacting with my father. Um, My mom also wasn't, you know, emotionally there for me, really. Um,
0: Yeah, they tend to come in pairs, so I can certainly understand that.
1: (laughs) Um, But because we were divorced, you know, I I spent most of my time, you know, physically with my dad or around my dad.
0: So it wasn't a a sort of shared custody arrangement?
1: Um, I saw my mom, I guess, on the weekends. And so I I guess the, the situation from, like, my dad was very, you know manage my brother and I by you know rigid and structured you know don't do anything that I don't approve of sort of environment whereas my mom was very and and that was sort of the way he didn't deal with us and the way that my mom didn't deal with us was to, to basically let us do anything we wanted and not provide any of any structure any um, any boundaries, like, but in a negligent way, not in a.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you kind of went from the Stalag seventeen, the the sort of uh, the goulat, the gulet to like the hippy dippy wolf child raising himself kind of thing. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty disorienting. I can certainly understand.
1: Yeah, and but I don't remember feeling like I was not conscious of the disorientation at that time. Like, I, this is all right. in I mean, hindsight that I sure, am able sure. to see how disorienting it would have been or was it would be for anybody and was i guess for me right um so i i guess that's my family <laughs> um so i yeah you know, i never had a very close relationship with my dad obviously and um when i went to college you know i for the first time you know sought therapy because i was you know incredibly depressed and right um i guess i i i, I've, I feel like i've always been struggling to figure my way out of this hole and because like, i remember thinking very consciously when i was in high school that Um, You know, I I would look around and, you know, I would see people who were happy and, like, I mean, the the first inclination was to, was, I guess, to be cynical and, you know, feel like they just didn't understand the real nature of the world. But I remember very consciously thinking at one point that, or just asking the question, you know, but, but if it's possible that, in fact, they are happy, you know, shouldn't I explore what would be necessary to, to get to that point. Like,
0: <laughs> Right. Right. In hindsight, when you think of these people, and I, I don't want to interrupt you, but I just want to get a context of it. In hindsight, when you think of these people, do they still seem happy to you in hindsight? Uh, that they had something that you wanted to, to get a hold of? Or do you think that maybe there was sort of this ignorance is bliss thing floating around?
1: Uh, you, you mean when I was in high school looking around and saying that all of these Yeah, happy?
0: Look, looking back, do you feel that they were happy or, or not so much?
1: Um, that's a good question. I, I can certainly see a lot of the people, who, like my direct friends at that time, were not really happy.
0: Um, right, for sure. But they were better better at not better at hiding their unhappiness than you were, right?
1: Yeah, I, yeah. that seems like a fair way to say it.
0: Okay, yeah, and I just I just wanted to to to, uh, to check out what, what that was, but but please uh, do continue. I guess
1: they were more functional than I was at that time.
0: Right, right.
1: So I was very depressed in in college, and I um, I was studying engineering, and. I didn't have like a very focused, I was not applying myself in a very focused way. I was not, you know, I, I'm, I guess I'm intelligent. So, I mean, I was doing pretty well, but it was not because I was trying very hard or after that, I, I, I when I graduated, I started working with a, a small research group also at the university. And like, it was my first real, I guess, full-time job. It was it was a good experience for me because I got to grow and actually apply, you know, my talents in, in a real way in a real environment where I wasn't you know, being graded or anything. It was just this needs to be done, and I can do it. So, right. And 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 there's there's a satisfaction, in I, I found a, f- a satisfaction in in being capable and competent in that way.
0: Well, sure. I mean, having been raised to believe that you were existentially incompetent, it's nice to get some traction in a practical sense, right?
1: For sure. And I guess in that job, like I wasn't, I felt that I wasn't growing anymore. I felt that I wasn't advancing, like it was just a, it was just a position, like it wasn't a career. Right, right. At that point in time, I was getting, I guess I was 24 or 25 I was becoming more anxious about, you know, being the one who is directing my, my destiny, <laughs> uh, and so I, so I applied to graduate school. I started pursuing. I think mean, I started dating. I I met, or who is my wife?
0: Um, okay, I'll. Uh, it's all right. I'll. I'll 12, fifteen. Sorry. I'll take that out. Um, right. no, no problem.
1: And, you know, I, I felt very good at that time because I was, you know, taking very concrete steps and recognizing that I was growing and that it was in my power to to do these things, you know, to realize that I wanted to grow and to apply to graduate school and to actually get accepted and, uh, you know, go. And, and, you know, my my experience with women, you know, prior to, to meeting my wife um, was, you know, very <laughs> bad, disheartening. Um, and, right. You know, one of the early conversations that we had was that, you know, I'm, I'm not done growing, I'm not done changing, that, you know, this is like part of the deal for, for us getting involved is that, you know, this, is, this will be a dynamic thing this will be a relationship that will grow
0: um right no that's uh, obviously it's a very nice way of saying don't hold me to anything i'm saying now no that's good that's (laughs) i'm just kidding (laughs) you can write all this down it's not going to matter because it's going to change tomorrow i'm a kaleidoscope i'm a cloud (laughs) i'm rolling baby (laughs) i a moving target, <laughs> right? No, I mean I, I know what you mean. i have just, i just some fun. That's sort of what came to mind. But, uh, that's, that's, sorry, f- sorry. <laughs> that's that's very funny
1: <laughs> uh, way of <laughs> looking at it. I had never thought of it that way.
0: <laughs> yeah, don't don't play this. <laughs> yeah, the idea. <laughs> uh,
1: and um, so I. So I guess we, we moved together to um, to where I'm, where I'm going to school now, um, to graduate school. And this was, I guess this was a big change for me that I was ready for. And it was, I guess it was a, a very big change for her that maybe she wasn't expecting as much because, um, you know, it, it, we moved basically across country from where we were and, mm. um, I guess once I got to graduate school that was it it really pressed me on the issue of of my self-worth that I hadn't had you know pressed uh in my my previous environment like I guess it was pretty comfortable um in the group I was working in previously and in in graduate school it was or my experience of you know the first few years was wow I'm in this um. You know, really excellent environment, and there's you know amazing people. And what the hell am I doing here? How the hell did I
0: get in? <laughs> what? Right. <laughs> find me out. <laughs> right. They're going to know I don't belong. You feel you know like you're in the chorus line, and then there's, you're you're at the end, like Danny DeVito, going, <laughs> "How can they not see this?" <laughs> right. Right.
1: Yeah. Like yeah. I guess I was very afraid that I would stick out, and so. Like a lot of, and you know, even even today, I like guess a theme is that that I can see even back then is that I've spent a lot of time trying to hide, trying to, um, you know, keep any vulnerable part of me, you know, well under wraps and well protected. Uh, and right. the consequence of that, like in my first few years of graduate school, was, you know, me. Not understanding things, but not feeling comfortable or capable of asking <laughs> the professors for clarification, because I was afraid that would out me as, you know, being stupid or being incapable or incompetent. Um,
0: right, right. No, I had. Uh, I was. Uh, I gave a, a technical presentation once at a conference, and somebody said, uh, I "Don't, don't you have a masters <laughs> in history?" <laughs> and I said. I said yeah don't, don't you feel stupid for studying something technical? <laughs> <laughs> I had much more fun <laughs> um no i do I do know what you mean and, and I'm going to a little later on after we deal with some of the earlier stuff i'm I'm going to take a mild quibble at your um your interpretation of graduate school and self esteem but we can get back to that uh, in a little bit so uh i if there's more that you want to add now, that's totally fine, but I didn't want to come up to um, the, the sort of contemporary issues that you have in your job without going a little bit back and plowing some of the sort of frozen tundra earth of the earlier stuff. Is that, is that reasonable?
1: Yeah, I mean that's pretty much everything Okay. because like I'm, I haven't finished my graduate school degree. Like I've just sort of temporarily changed right. roles to be like a full-time staff member, um, right. which, which brought right. us to right. – um I guess the information I posted on the to the board the other
0: day right so why did your parents divorce um
1: so I I've I've spoken with my mom to to ask about this and um what she told me is that you know basically the marriage between you know she and my father was pretty awful um to begin with <laughs> and like when when she was pregnant with me, it, apparently um, this became the focal point of everything that was wrong with their relationship. Like,
0: You bastard. What did you Right. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> Why you feel so bad now? <laughs> Broke up this happy home by having the temerity to cling to the right. uteral wall. Um, now, when you say bad from the beginning, do you mean bad from when they were Ooh, dating?
1: I, I don't know that. Um, I, I guess... I guess what I mean by bad is my mom self-reported that, you know, by the point that she was pregnant with me, she was having bad feelings about the relationship. Like, I guess from her perspective, there were warning signs.
0: Right, and, and it is always amazing to me how little we know about our families. It's like this huge, you know, like it's easier to get stuff out of Washington than it is out <laughs> of our own parents, you know, because at least we've got some legal uh, loopholes to, to get sort of the Freedom of Information Act. But getting stuff from our parents, is, uh, it's like pulling teeth from like <laughs> a skull with no teeth. So it's, uh, it's really, really tough. So uh, I mean, that's, you know, if you wanted a couple of things that would be interesting to chat about with your mom, just say, okay so you meet your, you meet my dad at a party or whatever and like what happens then like how on earth did you people end up getting married and you know help help to sort of understand the decision making that occurred throughout this process like what was it that that I mean, I mean, with my own parents, they were both so completely mental that you could have put them in an airplane hangar with ten thousand other people <laughs> at opposite ends, and they would have been like, you know, they would have found each other. You know, like like, uh, like it's like a gravity well of insanity that draws these people together. And I don't know if your parents are that bad, but um, you're trying to get a sense of of how it is that they came together, right? Because everybody talks about the end of a relationship, you know, with with a good degree a degree of emotional yes. vividity, I guess you could say, but It's the stuff that happens that leads up to that because because once you're at the end of a marriage and the relationship's over, everybody feels like a victim, right? So you kind of have to go back before that to before they started victimizing each other and themselves and it all got sort of hysterical and and soap opera-ish and so on. And what was the stuff that – I mean that's usually good stuff to to sort of figure out because once you realize that – I mean your parents made 10,000 bad decisions uh, to end up getting divorced – that can be really helpful to to just get the, the, the flow of, of how, how it ended up. Because you just see the end, and you experience the end as a five-year-old, which, of course, is very traumatic. But as an adult, you can look back and see the fault lines and the decisions that were made to go down that road.
1: Okay. Um, so I mean, uh, part of some additional information I, I know is that, like, just my mom's psychology at the time, um, like, she was very... Uh, I guess submissive, like she was, she did not have a strong character or identity herself and I guess was attracted to my father who I guess was compatible with someone who did not have, who who he couldn't just impose, (laughs) you know, whatever.
0: Right. Do you know how they say Mm -hmm. like opposites attract But these are the same people who say that fascism and communism are opposites, right? (laughs) So, um, of course, the reality is that neither of your parents had reasonable relationship to rules and discipline. Right? So uh, your dad didn't have uh, any capacity to negotiate, which is why he was an iron-fisted totalitarian. Uh, And your mom doesn't have any capacity to negotiate, which is why she's, you know, a loosey-goosey, diaphanous, enya, dryad of, of permissiveness. And so that, uh, th- that's, I mean, they have that in common, so to speak.
1: Yeah, that's, that's a, I like that observation that, that both have no ability to negotiate, and that's just different manifestations. Right,
0: and of course, this is one of the challenges that... Just, Sorry, but, but you're, this is the cha- – I mean the reason that I'm t- talking about this is this is the challenge that you're yeah. having at work is centrally involved around okay. negotiation, right? So you have you, – as far as I can tell, and we'll, we'll go into this in a little more detail, but you don't have a template for negotiation where there are two people in the room who are thrashing out how both can get their needs met in a win-win and positive situation you don't have a particularly strong template for that in fact you have a template for quite the opposite right i mean that the only way to get along is to go along and you must either subjugate others or be subjugated it's eat or be eaten kill or be killed and so on so it's not uh, it's not a two people in the room both working out their their needs uh, that's not a template that you have as far as i can right, understand that,
1: it that makes a lot of sense
0: right right now, uh, I'm, I'm getting a sort of vivid picture of your dad, and I'll, I'll just touch on a few things. You can let me know where the, where the accurate silhouette is or isn't. Um, did you, was, you, was your dad somebody who was impatient with things that you did of your own accord? Or was he somebody – and I, I'm guessing this is the more of the situation – was he somebody who would say try to teach you how to play tennis and then get really irritated like he would initiate instruction situations and then become irritable ah uh,
1: so tennis sounds like something that's fun <laughs> he would he 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 would it should be like so there
0: so would would he say i want to teach you tennis or would you say i want to learn tennis um
1: there would never be something as fun as tennis Th- there would be i want to i want to teach you how to do these things to help me work on this other thing um, that you don't have any interest in. I'm sorry.
0: Oh, oh dear. Okay, okay. No, no problem. I got that. Um, So would it be like hold this nail while I hit it with a hammer? He
1: he was very – he used to live in the northeast, and he moved down to the south where I grew up because – um, he was very interested in farming and he wanted, so he had a little garden. Um, well, I guess it was a, a la- rather large garden, but, um, so there's a lot of maintenance to, to do with that. And, uh, you know, a lot of labor to do with that. Um, and we had, we had, a, a large wooded area in the back and we would, um, you know, have to cut and collect wood, um, uh, in in the winters <laughs> so that we could have um like we didn't have central heat and air we just had like a wood stove
0: oh I see so you, your childhood was a little sort of along the lines of medieval surf or plantation slave or something like that like you're out there with the garden gnomes trying to get through the day kind of thing. <laughs> um. but it's a lot of work I mean I've spent a little bit of time around that kind of life and it is, like, it's dawn till dusk, right? It,
1: it was worse because, like, he, had, he was an adult and he has a lot of energy and we were, like, little kids. And anyway, your, your original question was, what was his...
0: Well, he, so he initiated, like, what I'm trying to figure out, uh, and, and I, I have a sort of theory, so, I mean, just, just tell me what, what, what the sure. facts are. We'll see if the theory works. I mean, when you talk about impatient parents, right, there are, there are generally two classifications to to paint with a broad brush. The first kind of impatient parent is the parent who does not initiate activities with the child. And anything the child wants to do is annoying. You know, it's like, I want to go to the beach. Oh, just stop, you know, relax, you know, go read something, do something. Here's a video. I'm not, you know, whatever, right? The child initiates something and the parent is impatient with that child, right? So anything the child wants the parent finds annoying, and that's sort of one category. The second – and that's more narcissistic, like the the parent just finds any needs that conflict with the parent's needs annoying. But the second is a little bit more sadistic insofar as the parent will initiate activities with the child and then will apply this heavy Louisville slugger kind of club called excellence or pride in your work or don't get anything wrong or whatever – and so the child, uh, the child doesn't want to do the activities, right? And so that's sort of the one problem that begins. And then as the child begins to do the activities, uh, the parent begins to fence the child psychologically into a smaller and smaller matchbox of, of do it this way, do it that way. No, that's wrong. Do it the other way. I told you this way. How come you don't listen? Right? So the child doesn't want to do these things in the first place and then gets kind of boxed into these tiny little things, which ends up with the paralyzed feeling that I think you described earlier.
1: So the first thing that you described, fit, seems to fit very well. Like I mean, I would do things on my own, and um, like I would go to the shop and build things, and you know, just play around. And um, but like that was never anything that he was ever interested in or curious about, or
0: and. Right so he didn't he didn't sort of uh, he, he wasn't irritated that you would go and build a model aeroplane right. or something but
1: like that but if i at any point wanted to involve him that was the that was the imposition that was the unforgivable imposition on on his time on his you know whatever
0: Right okay so that's one aspect of the first part but it sounds like with the second part that he initiated a lot of things yeah. that he wanted you to do Yeah yeah and then you would be stuck sort of in, in his world doing his things trying to figure yes, out how yes, to please him, yes. right? Because your primary reference – like if I have a kid and I tell that kid to build a fence, the primary reference in a rational parenting scheme, I mean you sit down with the kid. I mean assuming he's, I don't know, like 14 or whatever, a teenager, a young man. You sit down you say, here's the kind of you know, thing. Here's the kind of uh, – no, would you mind doing it? You sort of sit down and negotiate that, find out some way that it's a win-win. And then you say, here's the kind of um, – you know, here's the kind of fence that I want. What do you think? Uh, Here's—I've never built a fence before. Here are some resources. Would you mind taking this on? And, and then you're available as a resource. And what happens is the the young man, right, your, your kid, wants to build a good fence. And his primary reference is: mm-hmm. Is it a good fence, right? Whereas if I'm hovering around that kid and criticizing and saying, "What are you doing? That you know, you're piling that stick in too deep, or you, you know, this is the wrong kind of paint, or you know, this is you're going, uh, you should be going with the grain, not against the grain." but you paint, like nag, 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 what happens is the child's primary reference then becomes, in terms of quality, is my dad criticizing me, rather than is what I'm doing quality. Yes, absolutely. Does, does that make sense?
1: Um, yeah, that that can fit multiple okay. things that I I can you know, barely remember, like, I mean, there were a lot of tasks or chores that um, we would get involved in and we were told to, you know, do them. <laughs> and, and I know that I, I've, or I I can remember feeling an impossible situation where, you know, I can't ask for instruction, but neither can I get it wrong. Or, or if I get it wrong or ask for instruction, then I'll be, you know, yelled at
0: right and that kind of setup uh, can can go all the way through of course our professional eye so you you get half scrawled notes from someone saying do x y and z with 15 exclamation marks <laughs> at the end or something and you're like i don't know. and then they're away on vacation right and then you're like oh I don't, I don't know they're not reachable i don't know exactly what they want they say it's urgent and and this is of course i mean it's it's a kind of subtle professional sadism and perhaps not so subtle uh, in the form of uh, in the form mm-hmm. of your father Okay, so um, so you weren't, um, you weren't uh, involved in anything that you can remember that was pleasurable, but you were just kind of trudging from task to task with this dread of disapproval and hostility and impatience, like some sort of, you know, young, pale, even Denisovich kind of character, or someone out of a Dostoevsky novel, you know, like, uh, and, and that, of course, is, as far as I understand it, is a pretty unbroken pattern for most of your childhood.
1: That sounds fair.
0: Now, did you ever talk about this with your mom? Like, would your mom, when your mom said, "How did you spend your week?" And you're like, "Oh, we, we hoed the back forty, we put up a new shed, we delivered a <laughs> cow, we, you know, whatever." I would exaggerate, but, but did she ever say, "Well, that seems like a rather harsh and and workaholic kind of childhood"?
1: Um, and, yeah, I, I don't know if I'm. it didn't occur day in and day out. I mean, as far as all these these chores, like it was. Um, it, like, it wouldn't wouldn't be like every day, but I mean, there's probably something, you know, maybe each week. Um,
0: well, when though, I'm sorry to interrupt, but when there weren't chores, for instance, would your father help you with your homework? Uh, no, <laughs> no. So, okay, so uh, his definition of excellence didn't have a whole lot to do with school, right? Um,
1: yeah, I, I I really don't even know what it would mean. Just to, to ask what his definition of excellence was. Like.
0: Well, you do, but you just don't have a ve- access to it consciously, right? I mean, if we don't know our parents after knowing them for 20 or 30 years and no knowledge of anyone is possible, right? You absolutely have your father's definition of excellence tattooed into your very bones. It's just not available to you at a conceptual level yet, right? Right. If 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 you, if someone were to sort of you know put you up against the wall and say, "Tell me your father's definition of excellence," it would absolutely come tumbling out, right? Because you lived under this um, rule for um, you know dozens of well, fifteen, twenty years or whatever, right? Okay. So I mean, that's probably a good place to pause. Then, if this is not as clear to you.
1: Well, no. I mean, I. I mean, he was very, I guess, perfectionistic. I mean, he. His definition of excellence, I guess, would be, you know, knowing how to do things, you know, on your own without having to ask.
0: And would those things include, say, being a good parent?
1: Probably, uh, yeah. I'm sure that he thought that he was doing a good job.
0: So he, fe- he feels that he was an excellent parent,
1: Yeah, he would probably say that he did the best he could and, you know, or he, I guess he,
0: uh, and, and see, he did. that's not excellent, right? But that's doing the best you could. I mean, for instance, when you were a child, would you were you ever allowed to say, "Well, look, I just did the best I could." <laughs> right, of course not, right? Of course not. Right. So, are you I don't know if you've you ordered a copy of On Truth yet. I have. Okay, good, good. Well, this, this will, I mean, give a little away here. about But of course, this is, the, this is an essential question, right? Because you were kind of lashed with all of these standards, right? And, and your, your father didn't say, I would prefer it for my own subjective, as, as my own subjective preference, like I prefer ice cream to chocolate. I would prefer it if you do it this way, right? He said, it is better to do it this way. And saying something like, well, I just did the best I could is not an excuse, Right.
1: Sure, for sure
0: so when when it comes to excellence right there's this question of excellence or perfectionism I mean the, the first thing to be excellent at is virtue, right The first thing to be excellent at is benevolence and kindness, particularly towards your own children right that is that is what is called excellence in the real world right I mean that's not just me that's all the way back to Aristotle and before right um, that that wisdom and virtue in the Socratic sense or the Aristotelian sense is what is defined as excellence in any objective kind of way, right? Not whether you build a fence right or, you know, whatever chores it was or whatever it is that you were doing, right? So the one, the one thing is like you have this concept of excellence that is rational and you apply it to specific situations. The other is that you're a bad-tempered son of a bitch and you create this criteria called excellence so you can use it as a club to beat up on your kids.
1: Okay, yes. I, I certainly understand that there is either, you know, objective... Standard of excellence, or a subjective standard, that would be you know whatever he makes up, versus versus like what you're saying, something more objective that is independent of that, that is you know tied more to virtue. To
0: right, right, and I'm sure you you get all of that, so you can send the book back. No, I'm just kidding. This no, <laughs> but um, but uh, with your with your father, uh, his his definition of excellence, as you said, was knowing how to do things without being told. Is that right?
1: Yeah that's what I said
0: but of course um, he didn't invent all these things on his own right somebody told him like he didn't invent the English language he didn't invent the concepts of farming he didn't invent a stove he like, he, he he was uh, told uh, how to do these things by others right so it's a little I'm, I'm sorry to be annoying and nitpicky about this but but this is probably a pretty core uh, issue right in terms of, of seeing things more clearly I'm sure so it's not that his definition of excellence was knowing how to do things without being told right because, because he was told, I mean, the, the amount that we actually invent in our lives is like minuscule, right? I mean, even for somebody as hypervoluminous as myself, right? The amount that we actually invent is completely tiny compared to everything that's already out there that we just inherit, right?
1: I think, yeah, I understand.
0: So when he says to do things well without being told, what does that really mean?
1: Um, For him, get, I mean in his world, right? Yeah, get it right so that I don't have to deal with you.
0: Oh, okay. So so what he means is that if I tell you once, you should know how to do it. Yeah. And if you don't know how to do it after I've told you once
1: Then there's something wrong with me. There's you're yeah, you're broken and I get to now be impatient with you and you know in, you know, insulting or dismissive. Um.
0: Right, right. Right, okay. So, um, and look, I mean, the, even the best of us or so whatever kid can, my, my wife used to call me up at work sometimes saying something's wrong with the computer. It's not doing X, Y, and Z, and I couldn't figure out what she was doing. So, sometimes <laughs> we all we all go down that road from time to time, right? The question is, do you catch yourself and grovel and apologize and buy a tennis bracelet on the way home or something like that? <laughs> but, um, uh, but. So so this idea is that if you don't get it right the first time then you are what stupid
1: I'm yeah I'm stupid and wasting his time
0: Right but you see if you're stupid then the criticisms should stop right Like if you're genuinely retarded then the criticisms should stop. Like, I mean, if, if my, let's say, I don't know, I have, I have a kid who's got an IQ of 80 or something, right? And he really wants to, yeah, I think he really should be a pilot. And he goes and, and, and tries to become a pilot, but, you know, he can't really read and he doesn't do the basic math and so on, right? So clearly he can't be a pilot because he's not intelligent enough, right? I'm not sure that every day for the rest of his life, I'm going to have a, going to wake up and say, you're an idiot because you couldn't be a pilot, right? Because that's just an, if, if, if I'm limited, right? If I'm limited, in some particular manner, then I can't... Like, it no longer makes sense to say that... Uh, to, 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 for it to be a perpetual criticism, if that makes sense. Like, okay, I'll take another example because I'm, I'm being a bit obtuse here. If, if my son wants to be a basketball player, but he's five foot two, mm-hmm. right? then I can't criticize him for not being a basketball player. Sure. Because he genuinely can't do it, Right. right. So if you genuinely can't do it, like, if you genuinely are too stupid to follow simple instructions, then your father should not criticize you for it. I'm just talking logically, right?
1: Oh, yeah, absolutely. I, I guess I follow the logic. Uh, maybe I'm, I'm still missing, like, the emotional part of it.
0: Well, of course, the emotional part of it is that um, if your father wants you to think that you're stupid, then he's going to have to assume that you're not stupid. If he wants to hurt you by calling you stupid, you know, if somebody calls me bald, I'm not that hurt, right? Because, <laughs> hey, I'm bald, right? So, I mean, that's that's the deal. I'm not going to be, and if somebody says, you, you lie me, right, or whatever, right? Well, yeah, I guess I have a British accent, and so that sort of fits, right? So, if somebody says something about you that's kind of true, then it's not particularly insulting, right? Okay, yeah. So if you genuinely were stupid, right, then saying that you're – like getting impatient with you for being dumb when you're actually dumb would would not make any sense, right? Yes. So you have to not be stupid and you have to find – you have to believe that being called stupid is degrading and insulting. You have to not be stupid. And for it to be an insult, for being called stupid to have the desired effect of making you feel like crap.
1: Okay, so, just to be sure that I'm understanding what you're saying.
0: No, no, I already told you once. Ha! I'm just kidding. (laughs) (laughs) That's good. No, this is horribly complicated, so (laughs) take your time. Take your time. (laughs) Um sorry, I couldn't resist. Yeah. <laughs> uh.
1: So Right. So we, in in the act of consistently insinuating that someone is stupid it is the understanding that in fact they're they're not.
0: Sure. Because it relies to, on the fact that they're because not. Because the only reason
1: you would keep doing that is in order to you know, adapt or adjust their behavior from, from whatever it is they're doing that you don't like.
0: Sorry, the only reason that you would continue to call somebody stupid if they weren't was to adjust their behavior. Is that what you said?
1: That's that would be the only reason that he would keep treating me. You know, in that way is to get me to behave some other way.
0: No. No, I, I'm, sorry to be, I'm sorry to be blunt, and I know that you're an incredibly intelligent fellow, and you're going to kick yourself afterwards, but that's okay. That's part of the process. But that's not at all what he was doing. I, I can absolutely, completely, and totally guarantee you that he was not calling you stupid because he wanted to adjust your behavior or wanted you to do something different.
1: Okay, so – <laughs> all right, oh, good. <laughs> so
0: um, – <clears throat> Why, why well, you, we just have to look at that? the results, right? We just have to look at the results when if I do something for for 20 years right and, and I keep getting the same result, can I really claim and, and I never adjust my behavior? Can I really claim that I was trying to achieve something different?:
1: Can, can you be more specific? I'm not sure what you mean when you
0: Sure, okay. Um, Maybe let's let's take take your example. Right. So let's say that I'm your dad. Right. And um, uh, for 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 20 years, I I, uh, nag and criticize and and berate and humiliate and intimidate and call you stupid and so on. Right. And the result of that for you, as you sort of mentioned early on in the conversation, is a feeling of paralysis. Right. Yes. Which is a perfectly logical response. But it is not a logical response to someone who wants to change your behavior. Right. Wow. Paralysis is the result of being given two contradictory instructions yes. and being damned if you do and being damned if you don't. Right. So it's like um, my brother would say no means yes and yes means no. Do you want me to punch you? Right. And and what could I say? Because if I said no, he'd say, well, no means yes. And he'd punch me. And if I'd say Yes, I do want you to punch me," he'd say. "Oh, the game is over now," and then he'd punch me, right? So no matter what happens, I get punched. Okay. So, so I'm paralyzed. I can't say anything.
1: I understand now. I think your objection to why, like, obviously, so you couldn't possibly be doing this in order to adjust my behavior because, like, I, I was trying my damnedest to do it.
0: Well, you ended up with no. You ended up with no motivation and no... I mean, your behavior was paralysis, which is the opposite of behavior, right? And that was his goal, right? His goal was to detonate your capacity to make rational choices. Yes. That's quite different from wanting to affect your behavior. I mean, an advertiser wants to affect your behavior, right? When I propose to my wife, I want to affect behavior... But that doesn't encompass the sadism of giving a child contradictory instructions, or giving a child incomplete instructions, and expecting a perfect job, and getting angry if additional questions are asked. I mean, that is entirely sadistic and designed to throttle and corrupt and attempt to destroy your capacity to make rational choices with the confidence uh, of, of uh, with the confidence of your rational mind. Definitely, definitely.
1: Like, yeah, I guess through my therapy and and so on through the last, um, probably eight months. Like I've recognized very vividly that, um, you know, the, as I began feeling much more comfortable with myself, like the wall I was hitting was, okay, now I need to start, you know, acting in the world. I need to start, you know, acting on my understanding of the world. Um, I guess this is also what, what you've been saying.
0: Um, well, sure, but your understanding has to be crystal clear or your action is going to be premature uh, absolutely uh, yes and that
1: 's definitely what i 'm worried about with with regard to my my work situation right
0: right right so this this feeling of damned if you do and damned if you don 't" was the result of psychological warfare, sadistic psychological warfare inflicted on you by both your parents, right I mean this was a tag team, right so in one, you have no capacity to make choice choices. Uh, and to act with any kind of confidence because everything you do is criticized. That's on your dad's side. Yeah. On your mom's side, you have no capacity to make choices and evaluate them because there are no rules, mm. right? So in both situations, you're either in a tiny prison or you're floating in an interstellar fog. Either way, you have no clear contact with choice and cause and effect.
1: Yeah, that's a very succinct description. That's very nice. The fits.
0: Now, your mother... Thanks. Your mother um, couldn't handle your father's – and I guess she couldn't handle his critical and uh, demeaning and dictatorial personality, right?
1: Um, Yes. In the conversations I've had with her, like in – I guess it was her describing things towards the end of her relationship. But what what she was saying that she recognized on some level that she was dying like her – Her soul was dying, you know, being...
0: Yep, and I I have no doubt that that's true. But I have a question which you can ask her for me, if you like, which I think would be very helpful. Sure. Which is, Mom, if this guy was strangling your will to live as an adult, you were an adult, how the frick do you expect me as a five-year-old child to survive him?
1: Yes, that is a good question. Um in the conversations I've had with her, um, you know, I guess within the last year or so, um, I guess she, like, because she has also been going through some, um, you know, self-reflection, um, I guess in the last few years also, um, she is at a place where she can actually reflect on that and recognize the horror of it and simultaneously like not know like to feel the horror of, of what occurred and to not know how she could have done it differently because she was, she felt that she was going to die if I don't know. Does that, does that make sense?
0: it totally makes sense but when it comes to a divorce mm-hmm. right either the divorce is because of pe- is is because of petty inconsequential reasons you know uh, he kept singing great big sea in the shower and i hate that band right and so i left right in which case it's like oh so you broke up your family and half abandoned your children because of some petty little difference of opinion right and nobody ever says that about their divorce right what they say is that there was this big terrible psychological situation that I could not survive in, right? Mm -hmm. That's what everyone says, right? And it's perfectly reasonable in a way, right? We don't break up marriages over nothing or over little. But, of course, the more objective your father's destructive behavior, like, the more it wasn't just, you know, I say potato, you say potato, apples and oranges, difference of opinions, the more objectively dangerous he was, the more justified your mom is in leaving him, right? For sure. But, the less justified she is in leaving you with him. Yeah, for sure. The more she justifies her decision, the more she condemns herself, like her decision to leave the marriage, the more she condemns herself for leaving you with your father.
1: Yeah, that logically I absolutely see that.
0: And so it's, uh, you know, if she's in a situation of reflecting then that's, you know, if she couldn't take it as a grown adult with all the resources and independence and legal power that she had in that situation, if she couldn't take it, how were you supposed to take it? People leave children behind in marriages with destructive people like other people use newspapers to wad up a leaking hole in a ship because by the time you got into a teenager right your capacity to express preferences or feelings was virtually destroyed yes. you were writing vivid uh, fiction expressing endless aspects of immobility and paralysis <laughs> yes
1: <laughs> yes
0: Right. So you became what your mom had to escape. So it's like, well, that's fucking great, woman. You got away. (laughs) What about me? Right. You got away. It's like this, this prison is killing me. So I'm going to leave the prison and not take my children with me, but leave my children in the care of the prison guard because the prison guard is so abusive and destructive i feel like i'm going to die so i'm going to escape but i'm going to leave my children behind as a peace offering to this brutal man because i can't take it but i'm going to leave my children behind so that it's easier for me to escape i'm i'm being harsh here and of course you can process this as as you like but um that's something that is uh i think a very great unspoken in your family mm-hmm.
1: and yeah just just for Uh, full context. Um, Last Mm -hmm. November, um, I I finally defood from my father. So, yeah, he is not in my life at at all.
0: (laughs) I think that's fantastic. I mean, obviously, that that is completely and totally, in my humble opinion, that's completely and totally the right decision. Mm -hmm. But uh, I think that you need to be more honest because deep down, you know that your mom left you with this guy. Right. She's supposed to be a protector. And why is she supposed to be a protector? Because she recognized how difficult this prison guard is, how destructive and abusive this prison guard is. Right. She was the one who was fully aware of that. You were a kid. You were only instinctually or unconsciously aware and you had no capacity to escape. Mm -hmm. Right. And unconsciously, you know, she left you behind as to to appease your dad.
1: Um Well, yeah, I mean, actually, she's literally said that one of his statements or arguments or requests was you know for to have us because we were the only thing that he had left
0: Well, can you imagine this uh, if your wife <laughs> is no if your wife is kidnapped by a brutal gang, uh-huh. right, and you're both kidnapped by a brutal gang, let's say. And you managed to escape. Can you imagine escaping without bringing your wife with you or at least going back and getting her for good? Of course not. Of course not. Of course not. And this is different because she voluntarily went into this gang. She wasn't kidnapped. She chose your dad. She chose this gang. She got out. She chose the mafia. She got out. She left you behind. That's horrible. Yeah, yeah.
1: I'm getting the horrifying feeling.
0: That is going to leave you with feelings of worthlessness. I'm not even worth bringing with. I'm not even worth rescuing. My mom got out of prison and left me in a cell.
1: (laughs) Wow. (laughs) I'm getting a little teary. (laughs)
0: Well, of course, I mean, but this is, this is the core of the worthlessness that, that we experience. We don't make this stuff up. I mean, this is actually how we're treated. Yeah, wow. And what, does that, uh, what is the feeling there for you? I mean, it's just feelings. They're here to help you, right? I mean, they're not, they're not your enemies. What is the feeling that, that's in there for you when I talk in this, in this manner?
1: Um A lot of sadness, a lot of like
0: um like waste. <laughs> like, a waste in what sense? It didn't have to be this way. None of it has
1: to be this way.
0: No, none of it does. And without a doubt, there is going to be in there, and we are more receptive, of course, to the tender feelings, particularly with regards to a mother. And there is sadness in there as well. But as you keep rooting around at this incredibly productive um, prison that that you were left there's going to be anger as well.
1: Yeah, yeah, I was almost there.
0: (laughs) Yeah, for sure, for sure, for sure.
1: So, Okay. Is is this, is this where it comes full circle to the current situation, <laughs> or? Because
0: I think so. Yeah. I mean, if I don't want to to cut off your emotional experience here, and if you want to talk any more about that, I'm totally happy to. Um, so, would you like to talk any more about what you're feeling now, or would you prefer to move on to to the work stuff?
1: I don't know. I. I afraid to maybe cut it off too soon because I was maybe just scared.
0: Scared of the feelings? Yeah. For sure, for sure. I mean, there's ways that you can evoke these kinds of feelings, and the way that you can evoke these kinds of feelings that can be very helpful is to put yourself in the opposite position, right? So instead of being the child who was abandoned, imagine if you had a child and your child was kidnapped in South America or something like that. And you had to leave that child behind and never come back. I mean, I know, I know your mom didn't totally abandon you, but this is not how you experienced it as a child. So we have to use that metaphor of your childhood experience. That Imagine that you had a child, you know, a beautiful, shiny-faced, uh, tousle-haired boy of five who was kidnapped by gorillas in South America. And then you just took a boat out of there. And you would look back and see this kid... Going back into the jungle—I mean, that's pretty horrible, right? Yeah, I mean, that would be an incredible thing to have to live within yourself.
1: It's absolutely—I can't, I can't imagine how horrifying that would be. I mean,
0: right? And and here's here's the gap, right? This is the chasm between yourself and your parents. That you—that image for you evokes such supernatural horror yes. as it should, right? As it should. The idea of abandoning your child. To a brutal situation is, is 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 a situation of such unbearable horror that you would do anything. Well, you'd turn into some sort of vigilante to get your kid back. Right? <laughs> yeah, you would. You would do anything, right? You would do. You'd hire mercenaries. you whatever it took to get your kid out of that dangerous and deathly situation. You would do that, right? But your parents won't. This is a huge chasm, right? It's almost like the difference between having a soul and not having a soul, if I can use a quasi-religious metaphor for a moment. Right? It's the difference between having empathy and not having empathy, right? that you can experience, even in your imagination, the horror of leaving a child in that kind of situation, but your parents did not experience that horror in any conscious way at all. Now, of course, they, they do, deep down, experience that horror, and your mother has probably spent most of her life avoiding that feeling in one form or another, finding some desperate way to, to to not have it come up, right? Absolutely. But it's there, right? This is, this is the seething lava that is at the core of your family, which is your mother knew how destructive your father was and left you and your brother behind. Wow. And I'm not telling you anything you don't know, right? But, but that's part of the paralysis, which is a feeling of worthlessness, like she didn't even turn back. She didn't get mercenaries to come and get me out. She didn't get the court system to give her sole custody. She didn't do whatever it took to make me safe. And she knew, she knew how desperately dangerous the situation was for her. As an adult, she couldn't handle it. But as a child, I was supposed to do it. As an adult, she couldn't lift a car, but she put me under a car thinking I could. (laughs) And, and the, the time to work on this stuff now, and this is why it's so amazing what you're doing, right? It's before you have kids. Because <laughs> yeah, <the> stuff, yeah. <laughs> it's all going to come up when you have kids, right? When you have kids, it's all going to come up. And you've got to denormalize this incredibly sick situation of betrayal, of abandonment, of sadism, of abuse, psychological abuse.
1: Yeah.
0: I mean of your own personal Abu Ghraib, which is worse than Abu Ghraib because that happens to adults, Right, Because otherwise, if you, if you don't get all of this in your gut and, and work through it, then it's going to happen again to your kids. But it's going to be worse for you than it is for your parents because you will feel it uh, – feel the horror of what's happening much more acutely because you're more sensitive and obviously uh, more psychologically astute. Right? So you will feel the same – these same primitive primeval instincts to, to control and manipulate and bully and betray children in this manner. But you will also feel how horrible that is in the moment, but be unable to stop it, right? And that's why it's so essential that you do this work now, and that's you know why it's so great that you're having this conversation. And, and
1: just to be clear, when you say this work, do you mean specifically reflecting on on, um, on the history of the situation and, and the horror of, of that situation, so that so that I can connect with 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 those feelings, so that so that I can consciously recognize them. Is that what you mean by the work? Or
0: what? Yeah, what I mean by the work is, is I mean, you, you, you've got it almost exactly right, which is you, you need the, the, the fundamental thing to do with these kinds of terrible histories, and look, my, my heart breaks for you. I mean, this was an unbelievably terrible history. The reason that we need to feel this horror is so that we can fundamentally denormalize what happened to us. Right? That's why I kept picking at stuff like, well, he was trying to modify my behavior. <laughs> had this stuff to do with excellence because all of that is normalizing the behavior. And we, we do have this, this incredible desire at all times to normalize our parents' behavior because that's how we survive at the time. If you sit there at the age of five saying, "Oh, great! So my dad's so toxic. My mom has to run away. She's left me behind. I'm totally abandoned, and I got another fifteen years to go before I'm free," well, you just jump off a cliff, right? Mm -hmm. The way that we survive is to normalize the situation, but the way that we flourish after we survive is to completely reverse that process and denormalize the situation. Because if you if you think that there's anything productive in what your dad did, then when you have kids, you're gonna either do what your dad did, or you're going to say, I'm going to do something that's unproductive, which who wants to do that, right?
1: <laughs> yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, I, I feel very lucky to be with with my wife because, I mean, we are, we, we, I think, recognize that, you know, the things that we don't work through would be, like, we feel, when I say recognize, like, we, we feel okay. that the things that we haven't addressed would be replayed and like we have i, I feel lucky
0: i I, mean, I think fantastic and you guys you guys are, are incredible heroes i mean and i absolutely mean that without a shadow of irony you're incredible heroes because who knows how long this goddamn mess has been cycling through your gene pool right could have been a thousand years could have been ten thousand years right but it just takes one person to say it stops now it stops here with this generation with me this is where we get off this hellish train that goes round and round this pit of fire and this is how the world is saved, right? I mean, this is how we become free as a species.
1: And so, is it your sense that my not yet having made that connection is part of the cause for the intense feelings of anger and impatience that I that I feel, like at in, yeah, in I mean, my, that's, that's because
0: you feel. That- you feel that there was something productive in what your dad did, which uh-huh. is what we were talking about. And so naturally, you want to do things that are productive. And because you have defined what your dad did as having some productive value, then obviously your response is you're immediately downgrading yourself and humiliating and abandoning your, your own experience, which was that it was hell on earth, right? And so when you say that there was anything productive in your dad's experience, then you are you know throwing yourself back into that cell and walking away and saying, well, he was right and you were wrong. And also then when you face similar situations, we always follow our values, right? Our values are the physics of our decisions. You can't throw a rock in the air and not have it fall down. And you can't define something as valuable or productive or good without reproducing that behavior. That's how we are programmed, right, to use a geek metaphor. And so that's why I kept chipping away at uh, any time you uh, defined anything that your dad did as positive or productive or useful and so on. I had to keep chipping, chipping away at that because you need to get that this was just a um, a, a sad, broken, and vicious man uh, who um, who felt himself enormously inadequate and decided to bully children as a way of restoring his equilibrium, which is a very sad, a pitiful, and disgusting, and vile thing to do. And there's nothing productive in that, right? There's nothing productive in that. I don't care. I don't care if Hitler did love animals. He was still an asshole. <laughs>
1: I yeah, I I think I'm I'm you know getting the glimmer of the feeling that I, I totally it's completely consistent that that it, you know to the degree that I don't identify you know those kinds of patterns as in fact destructive that I would sort of play them out again you know, in in my work that I would
0: well, it's worse so than destructive again, just to be annoyingly nitpicky. It's worse than destructive because you can be destructive without being sadistic. but this was sadistic
1: okay. did you get the sense that from from my post that there was sadism there?
0: uh no, sorry, I'm just talking about with your dad, right. Your dad's behavior was oh absolutely sadistic to say to a child, "You must get it right." this complicated thing, I'm going to get angry at you if you ask me again, and I'm only going to tell you once. Mm-hmm. Completely sadistic. Completely and totally sadistic.
1: Right, And, and I guess my concern was that, that, that I'm being sadistic, like uh, in, in my work. Already. I did not
0: get that sense. I did not get the sense. I, I think that what's occurring at your work is a recreation of your father's uh, behavior towards you. And the resulting paralysis and rage, right, that you would feel in that situation. Okay. Because you have this guy uh, who's, who's at the top of this project uh, who is recognizing that people are not pulling their weight and is, is avoiding the topic, if I remember rightly. And correct me if I've, if I've missed that sort of, sort of key part.
1: I'm pretty sure that's, that's the situation.
0: Right. So if you go to somebody and you say, I mean, you've got some options, which we'd sort of talked about, about going and saying, you know, I feel that there are some people who could be putting more stuff in, but I don't know how to best motivate them. How do you do that? Or, you know, I'm just looking, maybe I'd sort of like to step up and take a bit more of a leadership, team leadership role in this thing, but I just, you know, having trouble finding ways to motivate people and so on. And, and, if the person says, well, that's interesting, I have the same challenge, here's what I've tried, here's what hasn't worked, what have you tried, what has worked, what hasn't worked, right? If you approach it like two people trying to unravel the problem, mm-hmm. then fantastic, you have a road forward and you have a new friend, right? Yeah. But if the person says, uh, "You know, hey, we don't need another team leader, everything's fine, just do your, do your work and, and just don't worry about it, don't fuss with other people and don't start putting your nose in other people's business and this and that and the other, right? Well, then you have an answer, and the thing is that you're gonna ha- you have an answer that you won't want, and that's one of the reasons that we fall back into the past, is we see things in the present that we know, oh, all too well, <laughs> right? And we don't want to recognize it because that uh, is going to have us make decisions that we don't want to make, right? So if you do this, I mean, just to make a long story short, if you do this proactive stuff where you try to figure out, basically what you're trying to do is create a moral map, of your work environment. Yes. Right? Yes. Are people good or bad? Are they? Do they have integrity? Are they willing to stand up for, for what is right? Are they willing to, to confront people? Because it is also sadistic to have low expectations of people. It is also sadistic to let people get away with doing wrong. If you have, I mean, it's sadistic to bully them if they do wrong and, and humiliate and abuse them. But it's also sadistic to let them get away with it, right? Which is sort of your mom's side of things, right? Okay. Right to sort of a hey there are no rules there are no expectations do whatever you want that's also cruel right because it doesn't help people I mean it's like it's like feeding people <laughs> feeding babies whatever they want or letting little kids eat five bags of candy I mean it's just not it's not responsible
1: Yeah okay so yeah I mean that totally fits with the way I had been looking at the situation whereas you know my options were basically to be over aggressive or to be you know submissive and that's what I enjoyed about your your response to the question of just asking, you know, how how do you motivate people? <laughs> because it keeps me in the conversation, and it it's a solicitation of um, cooperation, not
0: right, right. But the reason I'm telling you this, just I, I don't want to. Uh, I'm obviously yours. You know, infinitely more about the situation than I do, and these are just my thoughts. But uh, they do have some <laughs> some experience behind them, so of course, uh, mull them over. If uh, uh, the reason that I'm telling you. Uh, that it's wise to create a moral map is not because I think it can be fixed. Right.
1: Yeah, I, I'm kind of getting that feeling. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and, and you know this, right? And the, re- the, the, re- see, the reason that you're paralyzed is it is like your childhood. Uh-huh. And the reason that it's like your childhood is not just because of you but because of the people in authority. Mm-hmm. Are you recognizing something that is similar and the reason that the paralysis and the frustration and the anger and the fear and all of the reason that all these childhood things are coming up is not just because you have challenges in this area and this and that, right? It's because it is a similar situation, it's which means similar. that you need to map it and you need to accept that you have an early warning radar system that is very sensitive but that doesn't mean that it makes things up. Mm-hmm. right? So you, you can see 10 times further than anyone else's radar, but it doesn't mean that you make up blips that aren't there. Because you can use this to your advantage, right? The, the amazing thing about having a really difficult childhood is it does give that, that amazing early warning radar to us, which yes. allows us to steer clear of things which other people just sail, the rocks that other people just sail straight into. Don't look at it as a problem that you need to solve. Like, I'm in this situation. I need to find a way to solve the problem. And if I can't find a way to solve the problem, it's because my childhood is one and I can't get things right and good things will never happen to me and all this and that, right? What it means is that I know this situation really, really well and I know when I can't change it because I spent 20 years not being able to change it. So I know this. I don't know. (laughs) I may not know everything, but I sure as hell know this situation.
1: Yeah, so I get in in that statement it sounds like there's more of a self trust aspect whereas maybe right Absolutely. now right now i'm sort of doubting myself like what am i doing wrong what is
0: right you're saying that i'm i'm creating these feelings unjustly but i doubt that you are
1: ah yeah that i yeah 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 i like that that yeah that it's somehow that, that the feelings are somehow mismatched with the situation when in fact probably they, <laughs> they aren't
0: Yes, absolutely. And and the difference, of course, now, and the re- there's a reason that you have never thought of leaving this position, mm-hmm. right? And that's because, of course, when you were a child, you couldn't. Mm-hmm. Now you can, and that doesn't mean you should, but it means that you are free to leave, which means that you're free to take risks that you could never take as a child.
1: Yes, yes. Uh, it's amazing.
0: Well, I mean, again, kudos to you. I mean, I know it's, <laughs> I know it's not a fun conversation to look forward to, but I try and put uh, a little bit of uh, sugar in the medicine.
1: Which which conversation were you referring to?
0: Oh, just this conversation—the one that you and I are having. Okay,
1: okay. I know. I I, I agree. Like with the quote that's on the back of truth like it is it is painful but it is the pain that heals
0: yes yes it is it is the pain that changes i mean that's that you know when you when we feel the pain we are really motivated to change our behavior and to change and to challenge the thoughts right so now that we're free we don't have to repeat the same cycles but that means we have to recognize it was really bad which means we have to re-experience the pain i mean there's sadly there's it's you know physiotherapy hurts like hell right (laughs) it's only uh, the only uh, continued weakness Well, listen, I've given you about 6 million things. To think about. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I think I'm starting right. that right oh, now, yeah. <laughs> what I'm going to do is uh, I'll I'll snip out the two names that you mentioned. Uh, I will give you the um, the MP3 file to, to listen to, and uh, you can let me know if there's anything else that you want to change. But I do think that this is, uh, I mean, it's a, an amazing conversation that, that you participated in here, I think, and, and thank you again. But I think, I mean, I think it would be something that would help other people, but feel free to have a listen to it and let me know what you think. Oh, yes, I I...
1: I mean, I, I went into this conversation with you with the expectation that this would be shared, absolutely.
0: And right, but really, have a listen uh, and, and let me know what you of think. Of course. I, I always want to
1: give people that option for sure. Okay, no problem, I will. And st- Okay,
0: well, listen, I'll, I'll, uh, I'll email you with the um, – or I'll, I'll put it in the Skype thing. It'll take me a little bit to snip the names out. Uh, and then just uh, – I won't do anything until I'll, – I'll post you the link where you can get the file. Then I won't do anything until I hear back from you. Okay,
1: thank you so much. All
0: right, thanks, Emil, man. I'll talk to you All soon. Right.